Welcome to More of That Presents Discographology, the podcast where a Springfield, Missouri band dives deep into a band's catalog, one album at a time. I am Matt. I play guitar. I'm Josh on bass. I'm Logan on guitar. I'm Blake, and I play the drums. And we are More of That. What did you say? La- what did you I, say? I said we had a we had a I'm sweet, sure it started with sweet tooth. Good evening. It did, and then I said something <laughs> about having a sweet tooth because it's candy. So this one, I don't know what's what's a what's a spooky <laughs> lore. We didn't come up with a clever title for this one. Mm. Well, it's yeah. it's creepy right, song lore. It? Creepy it won't song be a bore. Lore. It could have some gore. It uh, it comes up on the shore. Get- Give us uh, some more. Give us more some more of, of that. that. All right, Boom. Go. Coming Run at you. There's a new single. That's the intro right there. 2021. Good got... evening. Good evening. We are more of that. And welcome back to Discographology. Okay. I, yeah, I can't continue that. <laughs> the creepiest season of the mix that we've had we yet, I would deep. say. Volume two or just deep season of the mix 2021. Part we two. are part two. Well, okay. halfway through the season of the mix, uh, the spookiest season. We're talking about the spookiest song lore in this pregame. The the creepiest stories behind your favorite songs. But before we get to all that, we're going to talk about the stuff we usually talk about, right, guys? Yes. I was hoping you would talk so, in that uh, sing-songy, like, lyrical no. voice the entire time where everything goes up and then it goes down. Like a, maybe a Vincent Price. A Vincent Price, I could Price, try to yes. make everything rhyme. I'd like that to see you do that. Old. That'd be impressive if you could make everything rhyme the entire podcast. Rhyming. It oh, wouldn't boy. be a crime. I don't think uh, it could last. Josh. I don't want to go first. Mm-hmm. That would be the worst. What have you been up to? What have to I been up buying? to? Well... Uh, as you are aware, Logan, uh, Dr. Logarithm, um, or Dr. Lo- <laughs> are you okay me revealing that, well, no, you, you aren't no, Dr. Logarithm. don't reveal that. You know Dr. Logarithm, though. Uh, and uh, <laughs> the record show happened recently, and uh, we were at the record show. There, you were cleaning records at the record show, by the way. I want to hear how that went with Deeper Grooves. Uh, but at that record show, I picked up a few things and that's really basically it this is probably the lightest week i've had in a while uh i picked up at that show david bowie's scary monsters which is appropriate for the time of year to get that album okay it's a good one it has scary monsters and super creeps on it It has ashes to ashes on it yep 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 jessica loves that one yeah it's pretty good i listened to it the other day i i'm not that familiar with it other than those two songs i just mentioned um but yeah, actually, I'm probably more familiar with it than I am Lodger, though, which I also have Lodger, and I don't think I've listened to Lodger more than maybe once ever, uh, which is the yeah. one before that one, maybe? Anyway, uh, so I got that, and I also picked up uh, ELO's Greatest Hits, which <laughs> I actually really enjoy. Uh, I got it because I was like, you know, if I'm going to have one ELO album... I'll go with the greatest hits and it's, it's pretty wall to wall, you know, bangers as we say, uh, it's, you know, just every feeling the call of, were you feeling the call of ELO or I just, well, I like some ELO song. I mean, telephone line is great. 
he was listening to too much Klaatu, and he. <laughs> <laughs> it is very Klaatu is very Jeff Lynn esque, but uh, I think I saw that Klaatu record there, possibly oh, though. Man, uh, nice. Um, but I got yeah, ELO's Grace Hits got Telephone Line, Turn to Stone, Mr. Blue Sky, you know all the all the big ones, you know. Um, and then I picked up Pink Floyd Momentary Lapse of Reason. But oh. this is something I was waiting to tell you, Logan. It does not play. Oh, I no. got, I what? got, I got uh, grifted. I don't know what it would be. Doesn't play at all. Well, so I put it on, and the needle just started skating like fucking Tony Hawk across oh. that record. Just took <laughs> off, and it's like it goes through like the first couple tracks, like like straight into learning to fly just like blows through it keeps going i'm like whoa 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 so i i was like okay maybe it's the the record itself so logan close your ears for a second i cleaned the record on my own oh my god Because I was Did like, you take a paper towel and no, I use the you know little little homemade. I use the bar- the barbecue grill scrubber. <laughs> I I cleaned yeah. it up, uh, and then I also put a quarter on the arm of my because my record player doesn't have the adjustable. Oh, don't, ha- don't have an anti skate. So I I put the quarter on it because I was like maybe it needs more pressure. It still did it. So I I don't even know. It sucks. I mean, are you? Does the record look scratched up? Really? It doesn't. Bad? No. I. It's something with the pressing. I think. I don't know. But I actually talked to our friend Ben, who went to the record show with me, and he was like, "Well, bring it over to my house. He has a record player with an anti-skating uh, arm or whatever you call it, and he's gonna try it out. And he said he would buy it from me if it worked on his. So I was like, okay, but if it doesn't, I'm it sucks because I'm out that. Did it money. cost? Well, it just, you know, it's money it's I could expensive. have spent on a, another record there, you know, <laughs> that I wanted. Uh, I told Logan. I mean, if I, it was like pricey, that would really It suck. wasn't super pricey, but it was, you know, enough that I could have got something else. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I told Logan I saw a copy of Sunflower, the Beach Boys album there, and, and now I'm kicking myself for not getting it. Mm. Anyway. Yeah, uh, I couldn't find next, it. I would I was trying to buys. find it. Yeah. You're it not going to find it cheaper yeah. than... $29 or whatever yeah. you said. Did you go look at that one guy's booth over there in the corner I told you about that had like all the like more modern stuff? I have a story to tell about that. But okay, okay. It cannot be on the pod. It's not on the podcast. Okay, okay, oh, okay. No. Uh, the last so. thing I was going to say is I don't remember if I talked. Did I talk about the Wu Tang Clan album last time? The Vinyl Me Please? One? I don't think so. That that came in I in don't... between uh, the Vinyl Me Please pressing of uh, 36 Chambers, and it's awesome. I, I lucked out. Uh, a lot of people, I'm understanding, according to the subreddit, had got shitty copies, much like the Mars Volta situation, and there's people that Jesus. are very angry about the pressing Vinyl issues. Vinyl Me Please needs to get it together. Yeah, whatever plant they yeah, used I, is messing I, up, apparently. I haven't been super impressed with... The only one I've been impressed with so far has been my Not a Surf. Yeah, that one was. Uh, well, and really I think good. that one might have been pressed somewhere else, like a while back. Like the whatever ones they've pressed recently, apparently are just not doing well. But the Wu Tang one is good. Um, I can't listen to it a lot because it's got so much <laughs> dirty stuff that the only time to listen to it is when no one's home. But uh, yeah, I en- I enjoy those moments when no one's home and I can listen to old dirty <laughs> bastard talk about gonorrhea. Oh yeah. So. That's what I've been listening to. Uh, what about you, Matt? Well, fellas, 
uh, as as you all know, I, I've been pretty busy and uh, you know starting a new job today. But uh, I, I bring you greetings from Asbury Park, New Jersey. Uh, <laughs> had had to go mow the lawn the other day, and you know was was thinking about what I might want to throw on. You know, of course, been listening to the the Halloween mixes um, quite a bit, but you know d- didn't feel like that was that was the right vibe for for mowing the lawn. And I I, I got to thinking about well, well what would be uh, good uh, lawn mowing vibe, and you know, the the boss seemed to to come to mind. Um, I have all of these um, on vinyl. I've I've you know gone through them, and I and I've listened to them all um, a- as I've built my my collection. But I uh, haven't listened to this one in quite a while, and and uh, you know, w- really just ha- had a had a nice mellow time with it. Uh, Blinded by the light, uh, the original Spring- Springsteen version leads it off, and. Uh, for being so, you know, I heard the Manford Man version so many more times before I got into this. Uh, you know, I only started getting into Bruce within the past, you know, five or five or six years. But you know, I heard Manford Man all, you know, since I was a kid. Uh, but it, it, I think it's a great version uh, of that song. Um, and you know, there, there's lots of other, you know, kind of good, good feeling, good time, you know, Bruce songs. Uh, Mary Queen of Arkansas is, a, you know, could could be off in Nebraska. So that, that I was, you know, really enjoying that. Um, and I, I also, I can't remember if I mentioned this last week or not, but, uh, picked up the, uh, the, the Larry Norman, um, only visiting this planet on vinyl, found that, <laughs> at, uh, at, at stick it, um, a little, a little while back. Um, haven't spun it up yet, but you know, after my, my Halloween mix, I've just had, you know, had that song in my head for, you know, still. So wanted to get that as just kind of a neat, neat, uh, artifact. Man, hey, by the way, I think I sent you guys this video, the Aaron Lewis from Stained, uh, his song he had, a, like, last year. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know if anybody <laughs> made it to the end, because it's pretty torturous, but at the end of the nope. song, he has a lyric where he's like, am I the only one that can't listen to a Bruce Springsteen song <laughs> yeah. anymore? There's, like, some line about that. Oh, come the fuck <laughs> on. <laughs> Because Bruce Springsteen is <laughs> so so radical yeah. and oh uh, man, it's it's worth it. I mean, that song sucks so much, but it is worth it just to get to that part where you're just like, "What yeah. the fuck is this about?" It's like I think you may be the only one actually. Like, <laughs> you may be the only person who has a problem with it. Yeah. Anyway, just made me think of that because you know Springsteen, but that is definitely lawn mowing music, yeah. Matt, for sure. I do lawn mowing podcasts. I'm 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 a weird a weird one. I don't know. I'm built different. Um, I did. I had that wish we'd all been ready in my head last night. I think, and I I, I wish it it's, wasn't in my head. It's insidious. It's an it insidious it melody. Was, I did watch the a little bit version. of the movie, by the way. I don't know if anybody oh, else did that ooh. on YouTube. I need, to, I need to. It's it's a treat, Logan. You should oh, check I'm it out sure too. It's, rough. It, okay. it, it's uh it's some seventies camp weirdness um about yeah. the rapture <laughs> uh yeah anyway it's a, yeah seems like the kind of deranged stuff that i would i would enjoy but um i don't have a lot because i what i've been listening to is like music to prepare for podcasts and and not much else um most of that has been uh enjoyable of course the halloween mixes but um as far as stuff i got a lot of the stuff I have not even had a chance to listen to yet, though I've obviously heard it in the past. 
Um, my wife ordered, I believe, straight from the 4AD record company website, uh, Pixie's Trompe Le Monde. I don't ah. know if it got a repressing recently or something, but they happened to have this, and it, I thought it was a badass that they had it. So pretty, pretty stoked to add that to our small Pixie's collection. Um, we completed, <laughs> we completed the Halsey collection. We have all four of her her albums now on vinyl. I don't know if I mentioned that because I think it was a St. Louis purchase from Euclid. I I might have mentioned it last time, but there were so many things um, that uh, I don't know about vinyl. Me please, but the that I mentioned that Fountains of Wayne from um, Music on Vinyl mm. that sounded very good. Mm. Also, it's like one of the heaviest feeling single discs I've ever felt. It's weird. It's like, is this like a two hundred gram? Yeah, let's say is, is it more than a hundred and eighty gram? I don't. Maybe? It says one eighty, but it's like just feels heavier than I've ever felt. Um, but it sounds great. Um, we, I think I already talked about my wife getting these, but we listened to um, repressings of the first two garbage LPs, and those both sound awesome. I believe those are just reissues um, straight from from the band. Uh, I can't remember who put it or if anyone special put it out, but I'd recommend those discs. Those sound really good. Um, and I also got the uh, that Wu-Tang disc, mm. uh, 36 Chambers. I haven't even had a chance to listen, so mm. now I'm like dreading it. You, oh, no. you should just to check, because apparently yeah, yeah, cause there's some issues. My, so. my Mars Volta, uh, yeah, the uh, the very first track had a horrible noise. Yep. And so we made a video of it and uh, to to send to the you know to customer service. I don't know if we're gonna have to do the same shit with um, Wu Tang, but I don't know if they if they keep. They're probably going to make you do it twice. They said, they, yeah, they said that they'll it was send like a new a, one to you and it'll have the same problem and then you'll do <laughs> oh it again. Dear God. Yeah. And then they'll say, okay, well, there's going to be a pressing in October. Oh my God. Uh, we'll put your name on the list for that. But in the meantime, and for your trouble, we'll also let you select out of any of these that you'd want for no charge. <laughs> All these other broken discs. <laughs> yeah. And I, yeah. Um, yeah, we might maybe we'll just stop doing vinyl me please if it continues in that direction. But uh yeah, not a whole lot other than that, you know, busy with this and that. Yeah, I uh so describing that very situation, the album that I picked for no charge was Queens of the Stone Age Songs for the oh. Deaf, uh 2002. So, you know, I, I wouldn't call myself a huge Queens of the Stone Age fan. I, I, I like them all right, but I've never been, like, super into them, but I thought that would be a good one to have. Uh, so I, I listened to it, enjoyed it. Then I decided I was going to try to uh, search out uh, an original copy of the Anniversaries Designing a Nervous Breakdown album from mm. 2000. On Dude, a, I used to listen to that album so much. It's so good, and... I was under the impression that it was just hard to get, expensive, but I found out they did a repressing, like a 20-year, or I don't know if it's 20-year, 25-year, whatever. I've lost all track of time. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a flat circle. It's at least 20. <laughs> so they had re repressed Designing a Nervous Breakdown and uh, Your Majesty, so I ordered those hmm. uh, on you know color vinyl, 
But when I got my design in a nervous breakdown, it was Iron Maiden Live Flight 666. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, that's cool. At first, I was like, whoa, I didn't order this. Did someone send this to me? I'm like, wow. Wow. And then I looked, I saw a little sticker that said designing a nervous breakdown. And I'm like, no. (laughs) So... I had to send it back, but I got it. They sent it within like less than forty-eight hours. I feel like oh, it shit. was really fast. I got I got a new one, so everything sorted out. I got my anniversary albums, and I listened with glee and uh, had nostalgia nice, for those dude. early two thousands. Um, yeah, and then I. I just sometimes will see bands that people recommend off the cuff in like a subreddit. I was in like the Mars Volta group or whatever, and someone said, check out this band called The Mask of the Phantasm and their new album, Red, Blue, Black, White. And I was like, okay. So I checked it out. And yeah, it's right up Volta's alley. Uh, Female singer, uh, very progressive and bizarre and weird and fun uh so i've been listening to that just streaming uh so that's cool um and then a friend of mine joe uh he gifted me a record that i'd never heard of by a band that i'd never heard of called haircut 100 and it's 100 is spelled out but that's the band haircut 100 (laughs) and their album (laughs) pelican west and it's from 1982 and it's kind of like you know, they're British and it's kind of like an early Duran Duran um, kind of sound and yet kind of also a funkiness kind of similar to maybe Talking Heads. Uh, but I was really into it. I'd never heard of them. Uh, so they must have been a pretty, you know, underground band. I, well, that sounded arrogant. I didn't mean it like that. But uh, uh, <laughs> they're, it was cool to listen to. And uh, I enjoyed that and I appreciate that, Joe, if, if you ever listen. Uh, so, yeah, I, I've been listening to some stuff. Did you get that anniversary from Newberry Comics? No, I don't think oh, so. They, I, it, it's it's sold out on Vagrant, but it looks like Newberry has it. I might have to order this or Designing it, Nervous. Break it's worth it. That album is so good. Like every song yeah. on there is. Oh, I love it. Is great. If that's, if the pressing sounds good, I'll get it. Yeah, it was. That's one of the big albums that really helped steered me in the direction of Moog uh, synthesizers. Y- yeah, sure. I I saw them them live once because they opened for oh. Modest Mouse, and she has a um, I can't remember. Is a mini Moog maybe is what she had? Yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah, she she brings it out live. Adrian Verhoeven. Hey, or before I don't know what her uh, name is now. Before we get into our our special topic for today, I want to tell you guys the breaking news as of an hour ago. I don't know if you heard this, uh, and it's it's definitely seasonally appropriate. New ghost song. Uh, Ghost. Yes. I haven't even had a chance to listen. Dropped dude. a song I... for the Halloween Kills soundtrack called "Hunter's Moon." Holy shit! I didn't know it was for that movie. Yeah. Yep. So I watched I'm and so listened. Stoked. It's good. I'm, oh, right after this. Right after this. Um. Well, I don't want to color like Blake's <laughs> like expectations. Yeah, no spoilers. We'll talk I mean, about it. I I was going to mention okay. it, but uh, I totally it, forgot about it. So good thing yeah. you mentioned it, Josh. I just got home from work. I didn't have time. I'll do it after. Yeah. I'll blast it in the living room. It's ghost. Yeah, ghost is ghost. You know, I'm I'm a fan <laughs> of ghost, so I'm there. <laughs> speaking of speaking of ghost and spooky things, what's our special topic for tonight? Creepy song lore. 
creepy yeah. song lore. Songs that have a creepy backstory, it's, eerie backstory. It's creepy pasta, but for songs. <laughs> for your ears. Uh, who wants to, to lead us off here? Uh, Blake, I think lead us off with yeah, your song? I have... Well, maybe one of the most famous ones, one of the most obvious ones, but I think it's worth investigating uh, nonetheless. And I think I've solved the mystery, so I think you might be very surprised by the end. Um, and it's the lore behind the song In the Air Tonight, which was Phil Collins' first solo single in 1981. Most of you listening have uh, probably heard the lore, um, and you might have heard it from the Eminem song Stan. <laughs> Uh, where it's referenced. So he wrote In the Air Tonight in the wake uh, of a divorce from his first wife. Um, and no, not that's not the wife he divorced via fax. Um, that's a different one. And Collins said of the song, he said, I wrote the lyrics spontaneously. I'm not quite sure what the song is about, but there's a lot of anger, a lot of despair, a lot of frustration. And to me, that does track with the song. It's, it sounds like it, especially the chorus. Um, and lyrically, it's a very vague song, especially that chorus part. Um, except maybe the first verse, which is a little more direct and weird, and it's some creepy shit that is up for debate. And that's kind of where the, the urban legend comes from. And by the way, I'm not, I'm not Phil Collins' stan over here. I'm not even a fan. <laughs> I'm, I'm just... I like the... Uh, this story is is worthwhile, I think, for this segment. Um, I'm more of a Peter Gabriel man personally, but I he's never done anything creepy in his life, so I, you know I didn't have anything to talk about. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Mortal Kombat style fighting game with rock stars and Peter Gabriel versus yes. Phil Collins, and Peter Gabriel <laughs> yes. had a big sledgehammer as a weapon? That'd be rad. <laughs> and I don't know. By the way, I saw a, a recent video of Genesis oh, performing. I don't know if anybody saw that. It was the yeah, saddest back, shit baby. ever. Oh, I uh, bet it is. Well, mainly because Phil Collins, his son's playing drums, and he's just oh like sitting on the stage in a chair singing lyrics, clearly with oh, the lyrics God. in front of him. And what? it's just like, oh, this is kind of sad. <laughs> what I don't know. It's happening. Just, aging well, aging is happening. Yeah. Real, real quick, that, that, that matchup sounded like a uh, celebrity death match uh, episode, yeah. if, I ever, if I ever heard For sure. Heard one. Oh yeah! For, ask your grandparents, kids. <laughs> so Blake, you have an, What is the creepy lore? What's the okay. urban legend here? I want to read. Uh, I want to read you verse one. Um, it says, "Well, if you told me you were drowning, I would not lend a hand. I've seen your face before, my friend, but I don't know if you know who I am. Well, I was there and I saw what you did. I saw it with my own two eyes. So you can wipe off that grin. I know where you've been. It's all been a pack of lies." Uh, so angry, brutal stuff. It's kind of haunt, yeah, brutal. It's haunting when you hear it. The urban legend behind the song's lyrics uh, has many permutations, and each are more nasty than the last. Um, but they generally involve Collins watching someone watch someone else watch someone drowning. Um, that's some and the inception man that, shit. That, yeah, it's. The man Collins watches does not intervene to save the drowner. 
And I'm like, what were you doing, Phil? <laughs> Masturbating furiously. <laughs> he was it's, getting off to it's his fetish. Off shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the psychology behind this is obviously weird. My theory is um, it was, in fact, just uh, Phil Collins who saw the drowning man, and he, and he did nothing. Then he invented a third party to shift the blame. So it's kind of like a, um, but it was the one-armed man <laughs> type of thing. Um in some versions of the legend, Collins somehow, I don't know, the, <laughs> uh, this isn't really sensical, but invites the culprit to a show. <laughs> I don't know how. And a spotlight is shown on the man in the front row <laughs> to call him out at a climactic point. I'm assuming as soon as that drum fill hits. <laughs> uh, and obviously, I don't really believe any of this. This is like subgenius.com level stuff. But uh, it's it's urban lore. It's just invented around some creepy, ambiguous lyrics, and that that ambiguity in lyrics leaves leaves room for the genius commenters of the world to kind of let their imaginations roam free. In the '80s, instead of Genius.com, we had, I guess, the streets uh, where people spread these sort of made-up stories. So I did want to say the top genius comment on that verse, reassures us, don't worry, that contrary to popular belief, the story is not true, according to that commenter. Uh, and I say, prove it isn't? Like, prove that that didn't happen, Phil Collins. <laughs> Spoken like a true Sorry. person in 2021. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, prove, prove, it, prove it did not happen, exactly. Nice. So that's all I got. Uh, all right. Matt, you got some, some more lore? I, I I do I do like like Data's twin brother. I, I've got I've got more. <laughs> um, we uh, have done two different episodes that um, just uh, had a uh, a thirtieth anniversary. Uh, both Nevermind and mm. the Low End Theory were released on, and I don't have the date in front of me. But I believe it was September twenty fourth. 1991, uh, but another record that came out on that date was uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers Blood Sugar Sex Magic, which uh, was their kind of breakthrough success. It's, you know, got uh, uh, soundboard favorite uh, Suck My Kiss as well as there you go, uh, (laughs) as well as uh, Under the Bridge and Breaking the Girl, but uh, a, a fairly well-known uh, story about them recording this was they uh, they uh, went with Rick Rubin and rented a house out in Laurel Canyon and um, had some uh, had some experiences there. Uh, the, their drummer Chad Smith um, re- recalls that that the the bathroom was already uh, was was always very cold. And uh, they actually brought in uh, some some ghost hunter type guys, and uh, Chad <laughs> Chad Smith called him uh, the. Uh, uh, I'm I'm reading from a, a lot, an L.A. Times um, oral history that, that that just came out, uh, uh, but apparently these guys were the quote Siskel and Ebert of the spiritual world, uh, who <laughs> who came to see if the if the house was haunted, and one guy had uh, had like a coat hanger, tall guy and, and a fat guy. We get it. <laughs> <laughs> It's her classic Laurel and Hardy, all right? Oh, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they had some kind of uh, apparatus that they were that they were waving around this house, and uh, they, they got to the bathroom, and uh, they, they, they looked at each other and said, uh, 
something really bad has happened in here. And, uh, and, and uh, Chad Smith, he you're even, telling me, <laughs> Hey, I can yeah. tell them. I, I know what's something bad that happened there. The red hot chili peppers were recording. In <laughs> okay. 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 Am I right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I really I, tickled myself there. I'm sorry. I have all, <laughs> uh, well, to, to, to finish finish the story, Ch- Chad Smith was done. He 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 stayed at his house um, for for the rest of the session and and rode his motorcycle in uh, while everybody else still stayed at the house and recorded what I think is a great uh, 1991 album, uh, Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Um, yes, the the Red Hot Chili Peppers, even probably at the time, were were more or less cartoon characters. Um, I, <laughs> I I think that that's I, I think that's a, a pretty it's definitely their strongest album. I, I think it's a good uh, record, you know, obviously very, you know, kind of California and they just kind of kept on riding that, riding that theme. But, um, but I, I think there's, uh, if you haven't listened to it, it, it's, it's worth going out and, and just checking out once uh, just to kind of see what, uh, what some of the, um, some of the lesser known songs uh, are, are like funky monks is really good. Uh, and I could have lied is kind of is a, another really good ballad that is not as uh, as well known as as something like Under the Bridge. So uh, let's uh, suck my kiss and and uh, <laughs> and enjoy some. Suck my there kiss. you go. <laughs> uh, some, I have a question about the ghost. Yes. The so the worst thing it did was make the bathroom cold. <laughs> Yes, uh, um, you know, I, I, I guess some of the staff at the house um, had also, uh, they don't, a, a security guard had an unspecified some sort of supernatural experience. Uh, and then also, um, they, they claim that, that the ghost showed up in a photo that was used on the album art. Um, I, I think, I think if you look, if you look at it, it's pretty clearly just a, a fingerprint smudge. But it's um, a cardboard cutout of Steve Gutenberg. <laughs> <laughs> it's a reference to the. <laughs> but anyway. uh, but but they 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 thought that it uh, it might have been uh, the, the the ghost making an appearance on, on the record art. Suck my mist. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> wow. Oh boy. Oh boy. Well, <clears throat> I guess that. I'll, I'll go next. So I'm going to talk about uh, Beach Boy drummer Dennis Wilson and his connection to Charles Manson. Um, as we all know, I'm sure who that is. And we also know that he's definitely left his imprint in music later on a couple times and a few more times and probably will continue to somehow. So I think it's, it's kind of creepy, but uh, here we go on that story. In 1968, Dennis Wilson picks up two female hitchhikers and takes them to their destination. Then a couple days later, he sees the same two girls hitchhiking again. So this time he takes them to his home on Sunset Boulevard. So I guess he tells the girls about the Beach Boys and and their involvement with the Maharishi. And so they're like, well, we also have a guru and he's just out of jail, um, but, you know, is basically talking about 
Charles Manson. So then Dennis leaves for like a recording session or something, going about his business. So when he returns that night, he he's met in his driveway by Charles Manson. And when Wilson walked into his home, about a dozen people were occupying the premises, most of them young women. They were later known as members of the Manson family. By Manson's own account, he had met Wilson on at least one prior occasion at a friend's San Francisco house where Manson had gone to obtain marijuana. Manson claimed that Wilson invited him to visit his Sunset Boulevard home when Manson came to Los Angeles. Wilson was initially fascinated by Manson and his followers, referring to him as the wizard in a Rave magazine article at the time. The two struck up a friendship, and over the next few months, members of the Manson family, mostly women who were treated as servants, were housed at Wilson's household, costing him approximately $100,000, equivalent to $740,000 in 2020. Much of these expenses went into cars, clothes, food, and penicillin shots for their persistent gonorrhea. This arrangement persisted for about six months. In late 68, Wilson told the magazine Record Mirror that when he met Charlie, he found he had great musical ideas. He said that they were writing together, that he's kind of dumb in some ways, but I accept his approach and have learned from him. He told reporters that he had been living with 17 women, asked if he had been supporting them. Wilson replied, no, if anything, they're supporting me. <laughs> I had all the rich status symbols, Rolls Royce, Ferrari, home after home. Then I woke up, gave away 50 to 60% of my money. Now I let, live in one small room with one candle and I'm happy finding myself. Who boy. Wilson introduced Manson to a few friends in the musical business, including the Birds producer Terry Melcher. Manson recorded numerous songs at Brian's home studio, Brian Wilson, uh, although the recordings remained unheard by the public. Band engineer Stephen Desper said that the Manson sessions were done for Dennis Wilson and Terry Melcher. In September 68, Wilson recorded a Manson song for the Beach Boys originally titled Cease to Exist but reworked as Never Learn Not to Love, and as a single B-side released the following December. The writing was credited solely to Wilson. Asked why Manson was not credited, Wilson explained that Manson relinquished his publishing rights in favor of about $100,000 worth of stuff that he stole. Around this time, the family destroyed Wilson's Ferrari as well as his Mercedes-Benz, which had been driven to a mountain outside Spawn Ranch. So growing fearful of the situation, Wilson distanced himself from Manson and moved out of the house, leaving Manson and his followers there, and subsequently took residence with friend Greg Jacobson at a basement apartment in Santa Monica. Virtually all of Wilson's household possessions were stolen by the family. The members were evicted from his home three weeks before the lease was scheduled to expire. I guess one day Charles Manson brought a bullet out and showed it to Dennis, who asked, what's this? And Manson replied, it's a bullet. Every time you look at it, I want you to think how nice it is your kids are still safe. Well, Dennis grabbed Manson by the head and threw him to the ground and began pummeling him. I heard about it, but I wasn't there. The point is, though, Dennis Wilson wasn't afraid of anybody. Conversely, band manager Nick Grillo said that Wilson became more concerned about Manson after Manson had gotten into a much heavier drug situation. Apparently, though, it just really pissed Charles Manson off that he was not credited and that they changed the lyrics 
of his song. That was like the one thing he didn't want them to do was change the lyrics. And and they did that. But after, I guess, Man- the Manson family stole so much, I think Dennis was glad to get away. I think he realized that he escaped with his life. And uh, that was a... A rare thing, I guess, if you came in contact with the Manson family. So there was one other great thing that uh, I wanted to point out. Apparently at one of the drug-fueled parties over at Dennis's place or whatever that uh, Charlie was having, uh, I guess Mike Love was there and decided that he wasn't really into the party or whatever. So he left and went to the bathroom and to go take a shower. Well, I guess Manson followed Mike Love into the bathroom and said, uh, you can't do that. You can't leave the party. You're with us. Like you can't leave us or something like that while he was in the shower. So that's really kind of funny. But apparently Al Jardine was not too hip on, uh, old Charlie either. Just kind of talking. It was at that time. It was always Charlie this and Charlie that, but I think Dennis Wilson really learned from the whole situation and really tried to distance himself. And unfortunately, he ended up uh, having too much alcohol and diving into some water and then drowned. So that's a sad, sad story. But, yep, that's some creepy lore for you. I think Mike Love got off too easy. (laughs) (laughs) Now, from what I understand, Mike Love was in a bathroom, correct? Yeah, that's what what drove Charles Manson over the edge was seeing a naked (laughs) Mike Love in the shower. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, true. All right. Well, uh, awesome. Yeah, that song, by the way, Never Learn Not to Love, definitely you get a creepy vibe when you think about the fact that it was... A Charles Manson song. Yeah. On their 2020 album. Yeah. So that's worth checking out. All right. Well, I had a tough time with this because uh, as I texted you guys, uh, I said, when you really think about anything horrifying or scary long enough, you realize how sad that topic kind of is. A lot of the ones I kept coming up with were just depressing lore. And perhaps nothing exemplifies that line between horror and depression more than the murder ballad. So murder ballads are an American musical tradition that even goes back to the old country before America with some songs having their origins in medieval Europe. Uh, I'll read the Wikipedia definition here real quickly. So it says murder ballads are a subgenre of the traditional ballad form dealing with a crime or gruesome death. The lyrics form a narrative describing the events of the murder, often including the lead up to and or aftermath. So famous examples include Stagger Lee, Long Black Veil, Tom Dooley, Knoxville Girl, Down in the Willow Garden. And the tradition has continued with modern day murder ballads, including the one I just added based on Blake's comment, Eminem Stan, Billie Ooh. Eilish's Bellyache, Bruce okay. Springsteen's Nebraska, and The Killers, Jenny Was a Friend of Mine. Those could all be modern day murder ballads of their own. But the murder ballad I want to specifically talk about today is one that has its roots close to the more of that headquarters here in Missouri. So our story begins in the late 1800s in Lynn County, Missouri, which is a little bit north of Kansas City, right in the middle of the state. From the website Murder by Gaslight, the morning of May 11th, 1894, six-year-old Nellie Meeks knocked on the door of Mrs. John Carter in Lynn County, covered with dirt and blood, and she had a deep gash in her forehead. Her speech was barely coherent, and she told Mrs. Carter that her parents and younger sisters had been murdered the night before. She had managed to escape because the killers thought she was dead. When her story was verified, it became one of the most sensational crimes in Missouri history. 
So the story is apparently Nellie's father, Mr. Meeks, was to testify in court against George and Bill Taylor, who were going on trial for embezzlement. George and Bill were some of the most well-known citizens of that area in Missouri at the time. Both were from a family of wealth, and Bill had actually been a member of the Missouri General Assembly. To help get rid of witnesses, the Taylor brothers told Mr. Meeks they would pay him $1,000 if he left town. No relation. When, yeah, I was going to ask, by the way. <laughs> when, yeah, the two, dare you. when the two Taylors showed up one night before the trial asking to take Bill with them to his new home, Nellie's mother got suspicious and refused to let her husband go alone. Mr. and Mrs. Meeks and their three daughters went with the Taylors. A short distance from their home, the Meeks' parents were shot to death, one daughter shot, and the other two were bludgeoned with a rock. The brothers then dumped the bodies in a hayfield and tried to set them on fire but failed. Uh, Nellie, of course, came to the next day, had not been killed, and, and stumbled to the nearby house. When the Taylors were arrested, the trial in 1895 became a statewide sensation. The Taylors maintained their innocence and claimed they were being framed. They were eventually convicted and sentenced to hang. However, in 1896, they escaped from prison, and while Bill was rearrested and put to death, George was never seen again. He went on to be the uh, patriarch of the Matthew Taylor uh, clan. <laughs> so how does this connect with music? Well, multiple murder ballads were written about this crime, one of the earliest being written before there was ever even an arrest in the case. That isn't uh, itself unusual or spooky, but this is. The lone survivor, Nellie Meeks, became famous and eventually married a fiddle player in the area. She reportedly traveled with a local carnival company where she would perform a murder ballad about her own life written by her uncle. Most of murder ballads are told from the perspective of the murderer. This is the uncommon but not rare case where the song is from the perspective of the victim. However, the rarity is that the victim actually performs the song itself live. <sighs> Uh, the lyrics included, I'm one of Mr. Meek's little girls, and if you'll lend an ear, I'll tell you the saddest tale you ever did hear. She then, in the song, details the murder of her family and her attempted murder by two rich assholes from North Missouri. Uh, sadly, <laughs> Nellie died at 18, and no recording exists of her singing the song. I tried to find it. Mm. I couldn't even find a recording of that specific Meek's murder ballad uh, from that period, although plenty of the lyrics and the sheet music exist. I did find this one recording by Ozark's folklorist Vance Randolph of a murder ballad recorded in Arkansas in 1936 that might give an indication of what Nellie singing her song might have sounded like. So just imagine this is a little girl whose entire family was murdered around her and she was tr attempted murder. And now she's singing a song on stage in a carnival about <laughs> the Boy. whole incident. And this is maybe what it sounded like. I don't know. So yeah, pretty Whoa. pretty creepy lore. They uh <laughs> I'm surprised yeah. they didn't appropriate that for pure moods. <laughs> Be like Put a, a little, dance beat a little girl. That. Apparently, also one other fact I didn't throw there. They apparently, when she was even a kid, she sat in the store window in a store in Kirkwood, Missouri, and just like people came by and looked at her. I guess we're <laughs> just oh like, there's the, there's the little girl who was hit in the head oh. with a rock by the tailors. Jesus. <laughs> 
I don't know, man. 18 Missouri. Months, uh, culture in Missouri. State. Missouri. Show <laughs> wilding. Hey, hey, kids, you got nothing else to do tonight? Let's go look at that girl whose girl family got- was murdered. <laughs> Let's look at that girl who got hit in the head with a rock. Maybe she'll sing a song to us. So anyway, that's my creepy lore. Uh, that is creepy. Yeah. So uh, what do we got on, on deck for next week? First of all, don't ever say nothing interesting ever happens in Missouri. <laughs> um, next time, we're doing the last half of our season of the mix. My Halloween mix and Logan's Halloween mix. Mm. Do I Should I say any more than that or do I leave it I, up I to the imagination? I think just leave it at that. Leave it that it it'll it'll be an interesting and contentious episode, I'm sure. <laughs> I it's gonna it's gonna break up the band. There's gonna be a lot of controversy. There uh, will be controversy. Inflamed opinions. I'm I'm prepared. <laughs> I'm All coming right. packing. I'm coming packed. I hope mine's not too controversial, but we'll, we'll I'll tell see. you what I'm gonna pack. I'm gonna pack a crucifix and a wooden stake and some garlic and a silver mm-hmm. bullet. Um, with uh, Dennis Wilson's name on it. And Dennis Wilson's name <laughs> written on the silver wow. bullet. I pack a chainsaw. So. Oh! <laughs> and it comes full circle. All right. Thanks for <laughs> joining and us. And the Herald. Okay. And we'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.